Welcome to the Health Fail Podcast. This is your host, Zach Jiwa, and I'm joined by my co-host, Michelle Noboom. Hello. Today, we have some special guests, Dr. Katrini Iqbal and Nir Patel. Welcome, guys. Thanks for having us. Hello. Absolutely. Dr. Katrini Iqbal is actually my primary care physician, but she's a special primary care physician. She's a direct primary care physician, which means I pay her on a monthly basis and skip the whole insurance mess. And she answers every question that I have, whether I stop by the office or whether I text her um, at midnight, which is pretty cool. And uh, Nir Patel is both husband of Dr. Katrina Iqbal and practice manager. You run things around here is what you tell me, but I get different looks from <laughs> Dr. Iqbal. I take care of whatever the doctor needs me to uh, take that's care of. Awesome. <laughs> well, welcome guys. Um, let's start by, how about some quick introductions? Who are you? What do you care about? Yeah, so I was born and bred in Houston. Um, I went to school at University of Texas. I have a bachelor's degree in nutrition. And so I initially wanted to go to culinary school and that got shut down by my parents. And so I went and got a bachelor's degree, really like nutrition, um, had some like experiences in my life that led me to do some pre-med courses. And then I applied to medical school and got in, went to the medical school in Arizona, came back to Austin to do my residency, family medicine training. And right out of residency, I was working for like an insurance world and got really burnt out and felt like I was selling my soul. So then I had to find like a new solution um, and I came across direct primary care. And so now my husband and I have had um, our direct primary care practice for the last four and a half years and it's been doing really well. Awesome. Awesome. So we've said direct primary care a hundred times already in this podcast. Um, you run Direct Med, mm-hmm. which it's in the name, Direct. Yep. Tell us about Direct Primary Care and, and what is it? So Direct Primary Care is really just getting back to where primary care was 50 years ago. You have a personalized relationship with your physician. Um, it's a gym membership to your doctor. So in my practice, which we've named Direct Med, we offer annual physicals, annual labs, um, follow-up visits for chronic disease and illness, like sick visits and um, injury visits, and that's all for that flat monthly rate. Um, the whole model is meant to remove third-party insurance companies from dictating to physicians how to treat patients and not treat them like a number and treat them like a patient and spend time. And the direct primary care model, the way it works is we basically have a tenth of the population instead of a traditional insurance-based practice does. Um, in so insurance, what, what does that mean in terms of numbers? Yeah, so for t- So when you were in numbers, regular, what would you call it, the evil empire? The, the evil <laughs> insurance-based world. world. Insurance-based so world. There was um, a couple places I worked at, but one of the practices I worked at, I was the primary care for Dell Valley, and I was in charge of three to 5,000 patients on my panel. And in the direct primary care model responsible, we everyone has their own choice in how many they carry, but the goal would be around like four patients per uh, physician so it's a huge like drop in the number of patients which allows me the time and energy to spend with my patients instead of 10-15 minute visits I have hour-long visits with my patients I respond to them myself instead of having a um, mid-level or uh, medical assistant respond and do that kind of stuff. So what's the difference between um, direct primary care and concierge? Yeah, so they're very similar. So direct primary care falls under the umbrella of concierge medicine. Um, We're just a more affordable version of concierge medicine. So concierge may have even fewer patients? 
Depends. Um, there are some concierge practices that we had looked into, and some of them kind of what we call double dip, and they still file with your insurance and still um, still charge you that retainer fee. And so mm-hmm. the direct permit care model is just meant to be very simple, have that flat monthly rate, and we're not filing with insurance. Um, so, so I bring in my insurance card. That's no benefit to me with you because yeah. I pay you a monthly amount. Right. What do I do if, if we have a claim? Do I do anything as a patient? Yeah, so it depends on what your insurance situation is. If it's a Medicare patient, I've opted out of Medicare, and I have Medicare patients that they sign an agreement when they come to see me that neither they or I will sign, like request reimbursement from Medicare. And then anything kind of outside of Medicare, it's kind of fair game. So um, our monthly membership dues will a lot of times get shot down by insurance companies as like a reimbursable like uh, fee expense. But um, if like you got an MRI and we're filing through insurance, a lot of times it has to get prior authorized. So I'll be doing the prior authorization for that. It'll get filed through your insurance for like larger claims. If it's like a small like uh, really inexpensive claim like an x-ray of your foot and it like you haven't met your deductibles towards the end of the year there's no need to be filing through insurance pay 55 dollars to get an x-ray of your foot right um so those are the things there's it just depends on what we're filing for and what we're requesting yeah but to then, involve insurance if i come in and you say oh you really need to have the your tonsils out yeah so yeah you're just they're going to be paying however they pay through insurance. So yeah, again, it depends on what your deductible is, what insurance you have. There are um, uh, subspecialists like surgeons here in town, this Texas free market surgery, which has caught on to this direct care movement as well. We'll have to interview Sean next time. Yeah, yeah, Yeah. he's a great resource. (laughs) And um, so they offer surgical fees like cash, which they can lower their rates because they're not involving insurance. And so it just depends. Like if, but if you've already met your out-of-pocket max, then it might make sense just to go right through your insurance. Who takes in-network you know, of your insurance? Right. But if you're not anywhere near your out-of-pocket max, which are at the end of the year, this is something that costs $1,000, like pay the discounted cash rate, and then you're going to be saving money. So since this show is about failure, mm-hmm. I'm just kind of curious, what failure, we talked a little bit, of, you've alluded to mm-hmm. uh, the, the insurance world, mm-hmm. but what failure in healthcare today is driving direct primary care? Yeah, so it's everything, everyone is in a volume game now. And the volume game is getting so X amount of patients in the door to collect and file, get claims made against insurance companies. And insurance companies are paying less and less per visit, so doctors are required to see more and more patients, and that's just not good for anyone. The patient isn't getting ample time with their physician. Yeah, you get like heard. 15 minutes versus, you. I mean, I had to check my clock the last time I was in here, and I was like, Katrini, we're like an hour, 15 minutes. Are you sure you don't <laughs> want to do something else except for talk to me? We both get chatty. <laughs> <laughs> um, but uh, so anyways, so the whole the problem with the way that the current machine is working is just is high volume. You're ter- getting turned into this well-oiled machine to get people in and out the door. And the problem with that is that you're burning out providers, mid-levels, physicians, medical assistants. No one is staying at those jobs because it's not sustainable. At one of my last jobs, I was there for three and a half years, and I was seeing 40 to 50 patients a day by myself. And 
after a 14 hour day, like I was about to lose it. Like I feel and like- And you're providing excellent care, I'm sure. <laughs> I, I don't think I could have provided as much care as I wanted to. And so that I guess was like the failure I saw in the system is because in medical school, they, they, ta- they teach you, they try to teach you about good primary care. And a lot of them, those older um, educators were back, you know, around 50 years ago when they had that experience with primary care back in the heyday. Um, and they're trying to foster really good relationships between the provider and patients. And so we all kind of have these aspirations of like providing this excellent care and then you get thrown into the system and that's not there at all. And it's because like you will get penalized, like you will get um, your your bonus taken away, you won't get paid your full salary. If you're not seeing X amount patients and upcoding on things that may not even really be indicated. And one of my jobs was saying like order, you know, all these x-rays, order all this imaging, even though they may not need it, but it increases your RVUs, which helps increase how much they're getting reimbursed. Really important, those RVUs. So, <laughs> so I just felt like I was selling my soul and it was to the point they weren't even calling patients patients, they were calling them customers. And we were, I was getting my bonuses based off of subjective patient reviews of me. Although, you know, most of them were great, but um, I got good <laughs> bonuses, but I still like, I don't want to get like a review because I didn't give someone like their antibiotics that they wanted over like two hours of a sore throat or um, pain pills or sleeping pills or stuff like that. I mean, nowadays with like the way social media is and like reviews like dictate how good you are, even though you may not be providing like the standard of care, people are just saying whatever they want to say with these reviews. So do you think that this is the fix to that failure of the insurance, the fee for service I think it's world. probably one of the fixes. I think, um, you know, I, I don't know the solution for the overall problem about, that we have, I mean, but about? I think that it can help. And I think that there's all, there's this huge movement, the direct primary care movement yeah. is going across the U.S. When we first started the practice in 2015, there's like 300 other physicians in the U.S. that had direct primary care practices. And we're all independent. We're all like just like mom and pop shops and everyone's just trying to do their best. And now there's what? 1500 of them like across the US. And so the model's growing, there's the demand, people are catching on and physicians are getting burnout of the old system and they're either leaving medicine altogether, which is such a waste that you have like this education, all that those resources into creating a physician, you know, um, you know, medical school and residency and all that. Um, and then you've you've lost these really good providers because they're kind of in this system that is increasing the risk of like suicide rates and physicians are right. going up, unfortunately, and anxiety, depression. And unfortunately, because of the social stigma and because physicians um, with controlled substances and medications, a lot of physicians are afraid to report these conditions. And so they're not mm-hmm. getting proper treatment. And then this is why I think we're seeing suicide rates go up. So this is a huge fail and we're doing all this to ourselves. So. Do you think value-based care is another answer, or is that just going to be another mess? You know, I think still that there's... Still got RVUs. Yeah, you still, <laughs> still got to charge somewhere, yeah. right? Gotta Anytime get that you have money. RVUs, it's not the right, <laughs> right model. Well, talk, you, you talked a little bit about metrics and the growth of direct primary care in, in the nation. You said three or 400, mm-hmm. and now there's 1,500 direct mm-hmm. primary care docs. That's that's pretty incredible growth. I you know I think about what we pay. Talk a little bit about what it costs to be, um, you know, in a direct primary care practice as an individual. And I think you know for our listeners, if you're in a high deductible health plan, 
you're already spending $15,000-ish a year for my family size, right? And now I need to pay another, you know, something for a direct primary care. How, how do I make sense of that, you know, whenever I can get my primary care visit for $35 copay or whatever it is? Sure. Yeah, we're trying to make, you know, direct primary care in our practice as affordable as we can and bring the best care to everybody that needs it. So, you know, an adult patient in our practice will pay $2.90 a day or $87 a month. Kids will pay half that. Um, we take care of larger families and, and we help them out with a family maximum of two ninety nine, and we take care of a lot of businesses and we give them discounts for, for you know, sending uh, larger amounts of patients to us. So there is an employer employer model here? Yes. Yeah, we'll How does that work? Of, we take care of businesses. Um, we, we basically look at what they have for healthcare or if they have nothing, we talk to them about what we can provide or we talk to them about how we can save them money on what they're already offering. Um, and also provide them better care. So we work with a local broker that understands health insurance plans really well, that couple well with direct primary care. He understands direct primary care really well. And we basically give them a solution of typically a, a level funded or a self-funded health insurance plan with a major carrier that everybody knows and a major network that everybody knows and couple it with our direct primary care practice to where we are the front lines. We take care of the patients 80 to 90% of their healthcare needs and then they have their insurance plan hanging out there in the background if something bad or super expensive or um, unexpected happens. Got it. Um, so most did you most of your um, patients have these high deductibles. You were looking plans. for that word. Yeah. Most that of your customers. Don't say customers. Most of your clients, no patients. Okay. Patients. <laughs> for high, under high deductible plans. I would say the majority do. Yeah. There is yeah. still like a good um, percentage of patients that uh, carry nothing at all. And they're oh. kind of like rolling the dice. We still encourage people to have like sure. a catastrophic plan because like if they you can be crazy, you can be crazy like <laughs> us. We talked about this earlier and actually there's a podcast on, um, uh, on uh, health sharing, right? So I'm in a health sharing organization, oh, yeah. which is not insurance. So I, I'm one of those crazies that has no insurance. But 90% of my stuff comes to you yeah. before we make yeah. any other decisions. But then you yeah. have to report that on your income tax. Uh, maybe. Maybe. That's not a way. It's going to be IRS involved in this conversation. I believe that's going away for 2019. As we're talking about secrets, I'm looking at around here in your exam room and there's no computers. She's leaning on it. Oh, it's a tiny little computer. So you do have an EMR. Oh, yes. But what you don't see is a billing office. That's what's fascinating. There's, I mean, maybe you're the billing office, but it's... Who would you have to put money in somewhere? Incapitated care. I mean, he bugs me every month for my my credit card, and it just comes out every month. So it's really a fascinating model. Yeah. And the important thing to note, too, is that she's documenting just for herself. We mm-hmm. use an EMR so that she can document for herself. She's not documenting for anyone else, like mm-hmm. all of her colleagues in the insurance world. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. But are you yeah. using an actual uh, EMR program? Yes, okay. and we use Atlas MD. We just switched over. Mm-hmm. Um, and that one we chose because it was, is geared for direct primary oh, care practices. It's, yeah. it's developed and owned by a direct primary care physician. Mm-hmm. So. so I have a, I have a, a question, um, because this is a question that I always get into an argument over. Um, and maybe know, you know the answer, but HIPAA, mm-hmm. how does HIPAA apply to direct primary care? So we've actually had our lawyer counsel us on this. So there's a gray zone. If you're not filing 
with insurance. Like if I'm not making any insurance claims on behalf of patients, technically you're not a covered entity, um, but there's a gray zone because like Texas is like one of the outliers with that. So we still try to do all of our- Because Texas Texas has a a law, a state law of its own that is actually more um, covering, I don't know what the right word is, than HIPAA. So- The right. fact that you have my PHI on that computer, mm-hmm. you still have to follow the laws of Texas yep. that are going to be a, a level, yep. a higher level than HIPAA. Right. And we don't requires. keep your PHI on the on our local device. Thank you, thank you, because <laughs> that's a small device. We keep it in a HIPAA compliant environments. But you that do are, in, that are in, outside. Is the it local in the cloud? Thing. Yes, uh, I have a cloud. Okay. I have a cloud. Yes. Yes. All right. Do you have the, your patient signed? We like do. a HIPAA form. We do. Form. Yeah, we did. Because initially, before we um, started implementing our HIPAA compliant um, uh, electronic communications, through, we use Spruce as our messaging, and that's a secure messaging. It's right. HIPAA compliant. Um, before that, uh, we did not have that. Um, and then so we had people kind of waive their electronic communication. If they wanted to communicate with me, they could sign mm-hmm. on their forms about waiving that. So, but just to cover everything we're trying to be as as careful and well, protective as possible obviously and then so we have our emr is secure and cloud based and um, we also use our secure messaging app yeah basically we do everything we can to, to keep everything hipaa compliant and we 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 ask our patients to sign something that helps them understand that anything could be breached just like any in any technology environment, a breach could occur. So they, we just want them to be aware of it. But we do everything we can, just like any other insurance doctor's office, to keep everything HIPAA compliant. So you do care for your patients, and you also care about their privacy. Of course. It's good to know. Right? <laughs> or customers. Oh, sorry, patients. <laughs> good grief. <laughs> All right, so let's transition to talk about, um, we, we typically talk about professional failure, and uh-huh. we talk about personal failure. Let's talk about professional failure a little bit, and either one of you can uh, speak up on this, but where have you experienced failure in your business, either now or um, in prior roles? I, I don't really know if I would call anything that we've been doing, or I've been doing as a failure currently, but I do feel like my previous job I was failing. I mm-hmm. feel, feel like I was failing at life. <laughs> I feel like I wasn't. So this rolled into the personal. <laughs> you were on antidepressants I, and you were failing at work. No, I just, I felt like I wasn't providing the care that I thought that one day I would be in practice and providing the care that I thought I would be when I was trained in school and residency. And I had these really great mentors I looked up to when I was in training that there were these old town docs and they're, they just really, they really instilled a, like a lot of values and ethics into us. And when I was pushed out into the real world, I was like, what happened? Like, well, this is not how things are actually happening. And I felt like I was failing my patients. Like I literally had one hand on the door while I was like trying to figure out what prescription I can give them. You know, like I just had to keep going. I had 10 people waiting for me. I had to just keep moving. And, and then I felt like I was failing like in my relationship. I wasn't around a lot. He was just kind of sitting out at home by himself. Um, we couldn't conceive a baby like we were trying for a while and the second I left my job we took a one month vacation and we got pregnant on the trip so (laughs) so it's just amazing so to our audience just be careful if you decide to start a direct primary care practice you might get pregnant is (laughs) that what I just heard (laughs) the disclaimer right yeah um so what uh one of the things that I heard you say was maybe maybe it's it's a question would you say that 
um, medical education is setting you up for failure to some degree? Are we not teaching in the in the medical schools? I think it depends on the school you're going to. Yeah. My medical school was an osteopathic school. They're really focused on Where primary care in Arizona. Okay. And so um, it was the Arizona College of Osteopathic Medicine, which is a satellite school from Midwestern, which is in outside of Chicago. And so it was very heavy on primary care, which is probably why I chose the specialty I chose. Um, I thought I had a lot of good experience with primary care in that that setting. Um, I probably didn't get enough experience or education with like nutrition. Um, And that's kind of why I went off on my own to find more training in, in nutrition and that's why I chose to do some functional medicine training after residency and whatnot. But um, otherwise I felt like my school was really good. I think that a lot just generally speaking across but the board. But it didn't prepare you for the insurance world. It didn't prepare me for the insurance world at all. No. Yeah. Um I know that a lot of other schools in general, um this might be just a generalization that a lot of students coming out of medical school are looking into the subspecialties because of the higher pay, <laughs> like right, right their salaries are a lot higher. And if you look at it, it's um, all based off of procedures. Procedures yeah. make a lot of money. So it's like the road. So it's radiology, ophthalmology, anesthesia, and dermatology. Those are kind of the highest paid. And that's where those are the most sought after specialties um, when you're in medical school. I thought so. I thought very early on that, that I wanted to become a physician. And I was working with physicians while I was going to school in computer science of all things. But um, I remembered... Well, my decision matrix actually balanced on my conversation with a number of these, you know, I was working with surgeons and OBGYNs and neuro, it was a lot of surgery. Mm -hmm. And all I saw was a bunch of burnout physicians who were like, this is my day job so I can have fun in my Porsche or my third house or whatever. They were also on their third marriage and, you know, dealing with a lot of the stress that you talked about. And that was, that was a key driver in my decision making not to go to med school. Yeah. Now, I didn't know that med school would have actually paid off for me or, or done well for me being in healthcare technology all my yeah. career. Yeah. But I, I remember taking a good hard look at that whenever I was thinking about going to med school yeah. um, and making that decision not to because I didn't want yeah. that that life. Yeah. So what do you think makes healthcare unique in terms of failure and success? So what do you mean exactly by that? Like, Compared to um, any other career you would have taken, that you know, what is it about? Why do we Why do we have so much failure in healthcare? I mean, we know that healthcare is complex, but yeah. why is healthcare as an industry so wrought with, you know, pick up the the newspaper and there's yeah. some article on yeah. some healthcare failure? I think because it's really hard to steer a big ship, and I think there's so many levels to it that it's really hard it's not like you can just make one decision and like oh we're going to do x y and z and everyone's going to get on board i think that um there's also so many different levels of complexity with patients and like so one level of care might be really, really good for an uncomplicated person that has like no known medical problems and it can be very different from someone that's on dialysis and need you know, dialysis three times a week and cancer treatments. And so I think that the level of care too between patients can be like so well, And it's not an exact science. It's not an exact science. <laughs> it's a practice. Yeah. It's a practice. Probably, exactly. probably problematic that we look at things in, in, from a public policy standpoint and we just lump patients all together and say we have to care for patients. And, and if you do these five things, they'll be yeah. cured. And so, let's put an RVU against that. Um, <laughs> what about... In your personal life, yeah, and 
if are you like me and you probably haven't experienced much failure oh, in your personal life, yeah, but yeah, yeah, I don't fail. <laughs> Nir and I are going to have to. Nir will chime in later about that. I think the vein, the vein of the conversation that we typically take with personal failure is, you know, we we all do fail at some levels, and I think for us, with well, all of us in this room with families. Um, it's important to model failure for your kids. So the vein of conversation that we typically have around personal failure on this podcast is how do you fail at home? And second question is, and, or how have you experienced failure uh, in your personal life? And then how do you relate that to the other people in your life? In your case, the kids, maybe it's your, maybe it's your family and stuff mm-hmm. like that. So, yeah, I mean, the things that I, I, I've learned the biggest lessons from are the, relationships I have with like my family and my friends um big things that have like kind of shaped me to who I'm at I'm at today is like my dad had a stroke when I was 19 that he was kind of like the person that was you know this father figure and he like supported all of us and and all of a sudden he doesn't know what a broom is and so that was like really shocking to me and me having to teach him how to read when he's like in his 50s and that was like really impressionable on me which is actually what made me kind of change gears instead of doing dietetics with my nutrition degree and kind of change gears and go to pre-med um and another thing like i um after undergrad i was backpacking on my like big girl trip as my mom says um through <laughs> europe and you know just whatever like eating a baguette and cheese as like my food through the day and staying in hostels and like you know just exploring the world and then on that trip i found out my sister had a brain tumor and I wasn't there and this is my best friend in the world and I missed her surgery and I felt like I failed her and thankfully like I've been able to like be around and and help those people like through their medical conditions and their struggles but I've I don't know I feel like I kind of like let people down I feel like me being away from and I was away at medical school for four years and I was like missing a lot of things I kind of felt like I was failing people I feel like I'm a little failure every day at home with like the kids it's like they're driving me crazy and maybe don't react the way I should be reacting I I think it's harder as a mother I I think it's harder to balance that because we have different expectations yeah we do feel like Sometimes we suck at all of it. Yeah. yeah. If I don't have, like, a healthy dinner, like, available to my family, I'm like, oh, we're just going to pick up something. <laughs> Wait a Tonight, minute. Tonight, we you might have, have to pick up something. You, of all people, I'd expect to I have know. a healthy dinner on the table. I do have salmon and Brussels sprouts. Her prepared. definition of an unhealthy dinner is very different from most other people's definition of that. I just heard you're making salmon and Brussels sprouts. Sounds good. Well, my kids were little. My mom would always say, you're only having salad. Aren't you having a yellow vegetable? And I'm like, I'm the, I'm the worst mother. What's a yellow vegetable? <laughs> Squash? That's the only yellow vegetable. <laughs> Carrots, the colors of the rainbow on the plate is yeah, very anti-inflammatory. They got different colored carrots that are out there. They're actually really tasty. They taste a little different. Well, so you talked about failure, personal failure. How, how do you model that for your kids? I mean, you said you feel, you feel like you're failing them sometimes. Yeah. I don't know if we really got into that phase yet because they're two and three. Um, but I, I just want to let them know that it's okay to fail. It's okay to like learn through these experiences and just work on the things that um, you know that might be your shortcoming and then really kind of lead with what you're good at too. And so things that 
like so if I'm not great at one thing I can work on that and then just kind of shine in another area that I know is my forte so I don't know I want my kids to know it's okay to make a mistake and it's you need to learn from that mistake and through residency they always tell us that it's okay if you make a mistake you can't make the same mistake twice so and then just learn through your mistakes and I think that we all learn and grow more when we actually make that mistake versus Mm -hmm. someone telling us oh don't do that don't do that you kind of have to learn through experience yeah so hopefully that's great well we're winding down um you know i guess you know there's another opportunity here for shameless plugs for direct med but is there anything else that you want to share or or comment about uh, direct primary care and your practice in particular um our listeners are all over the country so it's not going to be localized but um hopefully you guys will help distribute this to your fan base as well but anything else you want to add to direct primary care or direct med in particular I would just say that we're super excited to be kind of part of the forward-thinking medical community and the free market kind of direct care um, model that, that we're doing here in, in uh, the Lake Travis area. And, um, you know, we have probably about 2,000 colleagues across the country that are doing the same thing. And we're all independent physicians. We're just trying to do what we can to do the right thing for patients, take really good care of them, and make sure that they don't overpay for anything that they need for their health. And, um, you know, we're excited for all the listeners listening in. And, and um, you know, if you didn't know anything about direct primary care, we hope that, you know, this was valuable for you. And um, there are lots of resources out there. Um, if you just Google direct primary care, you can learn a lot more about it. And what are your top resources for direct primary care? If I'm if I'm listening to this podcast, I'm like, huh, I want to check that out. Yeah. But I'm in San Francisco or if I'm in Boston, what, sure. where am I going to go? DPCfrontier.com okay. slash mapper. Awesome. is the best place to go to find all the direct primary cares across the country. Um, dpcnation.com is another good one. Um, so, yeah, those are two of the best ones, and, and there's several other sites out there. If you just Google direct primary care, a lot of things will come up, and it'll help you learn about about what we're doing and why we're doing it and help you find a doctor that's near you if that's something that you're interested in. Awesome. We'll, we'll include uh, those links in the resources. So if you guys are looking for some direct primary care in your area, we always like to finish up with uh, a recommendation on a podcast or book or audio book or whatever you're listening to. So what are you guys uh, excited about? What's what's in your earbuds lately? So there's a really good podcast with Dr. Mark Hyman, who's kind of like the father of functional medicine, who that's how I'm doing my uh, functional medicine training through the Institute of Functional Medicine. And he has a podcast called The Doctor's Pharmacy, and it's about F-A-R. I just, I oh. just subscribed to that. Okay, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. So it's Another really interesting, yeah. Um, the Doctor's Pharmacy. Doctor's F-A-R-M. Pharmacy, okay. yeah, Farm. Um, and then uh, I haven't been reading a book recently but the last book i read was called uh, the longevity diet by dr walter longo and um, it just talks about what we should be eating it's basically a lot less meat and more plant-based and um, i did buy a book but i haven't read it yet and it's just been sitting here but it's dr mark hyman um the foods that we should be eating so uh, i just keep it here food what the heck heck should i eat yeah so i picked this up at the last uh functional you're gonna make me read that aren't you maybe yeah (laughs) (laughs) i haven't read this book but i know that he always talks about how we need to eat fat to get skinny so I, keep that in mind. I, I like that. Yeah, I'm one of the fun. non-compliant patients <laughs> of Dr. Katrina Iqbal. Um, Nir, you have anything else to add on uh, books? 
to read or um, podcast I had two three-year-old boys, so I don't have any Thomas time the Train. right now. To, yes, oh, right. Yes, yes, <laughs> yes, I did pick yes. up a meditation book for kids. It's like these oh, little tickies awesome. that are meditating. Awesome. Good trying to get them to do that. <laughs> it doesn't last long. Two-year-old boys. Yeah. yeah. Awesome. We really appreciate uh, yeah. you, uh, uh, your willingness to join the show. Thank you for um, taking the time, and uh, we'll uh, look forward to... Um, hearing the podcast and, and hopefully there'll be a lot of uh, uh, a lot of um, interest in direct primary care post this podcast. So thank you both, Dr. Iqbal, Nir, for joining and my thank co-host, you so well. Michelle. Thanks for having me. All right, thanks so much. Yay.